I'm Andrew. I'm a primate keeper here at the Naples Zoo. I also work at the Naples Zoo, and I'm also a primate keeper. My name is Rachel. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Rossafari Podcast. Y'all, I am so excited about this week's episode, next week's episode, the week after that. Actually, we've got a real cool series coming up here, y'all. And it all starts with this week's episode, which is from the Naples Zoo in Naples, Florida. Now, I have had some people on from the Naples Zoo before, but uh, this was a really interesting trip to Naples for me for a lot of reasons. Um, but one of the coolest things is just that uh, the Naples Zoo has two things that really set it apart as far as like how things actually work there. Okay, Every zoo has a lot of things that are unique and cool. But uh, the Naples Zoo has two really amazing, uh, unique things. One of those we're going to be exploring like pretty deeply this week. And then one of those we're going to uh, tap into next week. So I'm really excited to share both of these things with you. And what we're talking about this week, of course, is the primate island system at the Naples Zoo. So I'll be talking to Andrew Zamora and Rachel Klug, who are both primate keepers at the Naples Zoo. And uh, the entire primate enclosure, if you want to call it that, is a huge lake that uh, you can go around on on boats and see primates on islands. And when you think about it, there are just a lot of logistical things that have to happen to have primates living on islands and still being cared for at a zoo. So this episode, we're going to go super deep into what it takes to make that happen and what the different primates are on the islands. And um, it's it's really fascinating. Uh, you'll get to hear all about the time that I spent on the keeper boat with the keepers, learning how all this worked before. Before we did the interview, oh my gosh, you guys, I forgot my sunscreen. I've been so good about that lately. Those of you that have listened for a while know that I'm really bad at remembering to put my sunscreen on. Uh, but I forgot it. Um, it. Well, I can't even say I forgot it. I literally just thought that we were going to be doing the interview in uh, in a room, and we did. But before that, I ended up on a boat going from island to island for like well over an hour. So I was very red at the end of this interview, but it was completely worth it. This system is one of the coolest things you will have ever heard about on the podcast. 
And speaking of the podcast, uh, don't forget to hit subscribe. Make sure you're following along at Ross Safari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Ross Safari Pod on TikTok. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so for as little as $3 a month by going to patreon.com slash Ross Safari. So uh, let's let's get to it. Let's let's head to the islands and uh, let's go talk to Andrew and Rachel about this incredibly unique habitat that the primates have at the Naples Zoo. Naples is lovely. Naples is lovely, and you're both primate keepers, but. Um, that means something different here than it does at a lot of zoos. And so we're going to talk about that. But uh, let's start off by talking a little bit about your past and what got you to being here. So let's start off with Andrew um, and tell me just like how you became a keeper. Did you know you liked animals when you were a kid? All that good stuff. Yeah, sure. Um, so I've always liked animals. I'm from Miami and I spent pretty much my entire childhood either visiting the zoo, going to summer camp at the zoo, uh, same thing with the Museum of Science in, in Miami. I would do uh, a summer camp there all the time. So my childhood was a complete brainwashing, like a thorough brainwashing when it comes to animals <laughs> and, and science. And yeah, when I went to college, I decided that I wanted to study wildlife and work with wildlife. So I went to college at a Florida International University in Miami, I uh, got degrees in biology and psychology to kind of cover my animal behavior bases. And from there, I went on to do a master's in anthropology at Stony Brook University, where I worked with um, Dr. Pat Wright, who does a lot of lemur conservation work in Madagascar. And I got to go over there a few times. And now I'm actually uh, currently working on my PhD uh, through UMass Amherst, again, in anthropology. And I mostly focus on lemur evolution and lemur behavior. I'm here in Naples because my best friend was getting a job down here and I was looking for an excuse to get out of Massachusetts. So I was like, okay, hey, I can go back to Florida. I don't have to deal with the winter anymore. Um, and I was ready to work at Starbucks if I had to, to pay the bills. But there happened to be this position open and I had primate experience um, out in the wild at least. And I was like, oh, let me see what happens. And here I am. And I, I couldn't have asked for a better job to have down here. Nice. That's like quite a journey. That's, that's very different than what you hear from most people. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I always get a little weird when people ask me, especially during keeper talks, they're like, Oh, what do you have to do to become a zookeeper? And I'm like, well, I can tell you what a lot of people do and I can tell you what I did. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's a couple different ways to do it. Nice. Very cool. And so you said that you have, um, primate experience in the wild and you have all of these wonderful, um, you know, degrees and such. I assume that you have been to Madagascar then? Yes, I have. Nice. Yep. Very cool. Tell me about that a little bit. I've been to Madagascar for three different trips, a combined total of 11 months. So I, I need to go back at some point so I can have the full year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I went there for my master's studies. I also got to um, supervise a study abroad program for my master's university there one summer. And then the last time I was there was in 2019, where I did some conservation field work with um, a group that was actually based out of my alma mater, my college in Miami. So everything kind of came full circle with that last trip. And now I'm back here in Florida. So yeah, it's a, it's a weird world. Nice. Very, very cool. All right. And then Rachel, how about you? So unlike Andrew, I did a little bit of the more traditional route. Um, I grew up in Wisconsin. I uh, went to University of Wisconsin Stevens Point, got a bachelor's degree, um, bio, and um, captive wildlife. 
And then I kind of started my journey with smaller zoos, getting uh, my foot in the door, um, making connections. Um, some cool experiences I've had because Andrew, I mean, tops that with Madagascar, <laughs> let's be honest. But um, at one of my zoos in Wisconsin, I got to hand rear a baby orangutan, nice. which is not very common. Um, and we are getting orangutans here. So very excited about that. Um, also lived in Maui for a year um, at a primate sanctuary. Um, did marsets, tamarins, capuchins, spider monkeys. So kind of got my foot in the door with primates there and um, saw this job on the AZA website and... I went for it and I got it and I'm happy. I do have a little bit of family on the other coast. So um, it was a little bit more of an easier move than um, maybe another state would be. But it's kind of my route of getting here to Naples. Nice. Very cool. Um, And now that you both are here, you're taking care of the primates. But uh, that means something, like I said, a little bit different. So uh, can you all tell us what this exhibit is? Sure. Um, I will go ahead and, and start. Um, here at Naples, we have a very, very unique setup with our primates. Our primates live on an island system. Um, we have no um, quote-unquote uh, mesh or um, cages um, or traditional settings as far as um, enclosures would go in a zoo. Um, the We actually have water that surrounds all the islands, hence an island. <laughs> um, <laughs> You should probably edit that out. Heck no. That one's staying. (laughs) Um, They respect the water as a natural barrier. So um, we get the really cool opportunity to have our own keeper boat. Um, And there's also boats going around us all the time because we have primate cruises um, that our wonderful boat captains um, take guests on to see our primates. Um, But yeah, our unique situation is that our animals live on the water and we take a boat to service the islands. Yeah, and uh, we just spent a solid hour and a half out there doing the thing, and it was magical. Yes. Um, so first of all, thank you both for uh, uh, indulging me. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate it. And and now because of this, so if you're if you're listening to this, um, and you haven't seen this, I'll be posting some pictures on the Insta and stuff. But it's insane. This is like a large lake with multiple multiple islands that house primates, some of which are free contact and some of which are protected contact, which leads to a lot of questions, which I'm about to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I mean, I remember when I first went out there, like as we're going out there, I'm like, how does any of this work? And I think I said, whoa, like 20 times. Cause <laughs> I was just, it is such a unique system. And so um, I guess the first thing that I, I want to talk about with it is like how this works in general. And um Specifically, when you're dealing with animals that you, um, you know, they're protected contact, you can't be with them, but you have to clean their spaces. You have to give them things like food and water. I, I know that you do training because I got to see some of that. How do you do all of this? Well, I, I, I want to start off by saying that one excellent thing about our island habitats is that they really get to be habitats for the primates. So we're not limited by meshing or railing or anything like that. Uh, All the islands have trees on them. They have all kinds of cool structures, everything ranging from their own little nest boxes that they can climb into to fire hose and coconut fiber rope and poles that are just everywhere to provide climbing structures. So I think one excellent thing about our zoo, and I've, I've gone to a lot of zoos throughout the country, is that you really get to see our primates in a way that's quite similar to how you would see them in their respective parts of the world. Um, 
So we get to take advantage of vertical space a lot uh, with the trees that we have on there in the structures. I know in the past uh, we had an island of colobus monkeys where they had these huge pine trees that were like 20, 30 feet tall. And we've heard stories. And this is before our time, but we heard stories of how the keepers would go on there and be trying to work with them. And they'd be all the way up at the top of the tree being like, no, I don't want to. I don't feel like it today. Um but obviously it comes with a lot of challenges where we have some primate species that we can't really be up close and personal with just for their safety and our safety. So we've had to really problem solve how to do that. So one really cool thing about our island systems is that we have several islands that are connected to each other. So we can have islands that serve as shift islands. So if, for example, I want to go on one of our Siamang islands, we can't be in direct contact with them. We have to have some kind of protection or distance from them. So we can ask the Siamangs to cross over to their second island, and they're very good about that. And then we can lower the bridge that connects the two islands into the water. It's made out of fire hose. Uh, those are bridges that we build ourselves. Uh, we have you know material that's donated to us from the Naples Fire Department as far as fire hose goes. But it took years of private keepers and our supervisor kind of think, trying to think about, okay, what's the best system to, to use here? I know once upon a time, the islands were connected by actual like physical bridges. And then those evolved into this fire hose system where the fire hose has uh, what are essentially little weights inside of them, like boat weights inside of them to um, weigh them down and lower them into the water. And we use an actual boat motor to actually like lower them in and out of the water with a cable. To um, have to hand crank the, the ah, bridges up and down. Ah. Um, luckily, we live in this time that <laughs> we have a little remote on our boat um, that puts them up and down. So I just wanted to add that. Yeah, it is crazy. Just for the record, like you can talk about that more in a second. But like, you, yeah, there's just there. There are two islands not connected. And then you hit a little button and whoop and up comes a bridge and the primates know to go across it. Uh Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but um, or they they take their time. But um, it is astonishing to see. Like I I've been to over 170 facilities, and I have never seen anything like that. It it's incredible. Well, and then even beyond the shifting system, which is its own like set of problems that we've kind of put together a good way of of resolving. Then you have the issue of okay, let's say there's a I don't know what's a good example, a major hurricane coming through the area. Uh, how do we get the primates off of the islands in a way that's safe for them and safe for us? And we've been working on training our larger primates to climb into boxes, which are already built on their islands, and then we can close doors on those boxes using a cable system that runs down underground and through the water and then up to a pulley that's attached to a post in the water that we can access. Um, I feel very bad for the scuba diver that has to work on that, but God bless him. You know, <laughs> we, we wouldn't be able to do the things that we do without him. Um you know, they say that our Lake Victoria is cleaner than the ocean. It's been tested. I don't know how many different times. We had a guy from the county here recently, and he's like, yeah, this is great water. Like, you, you can't ask for something better, but I sure as hell would not want to be scuba diving in it. <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to pay me enough. Um, but that, that system of pulleys and cables is so great because we can remotely, you know, get them inside the box and close them in there. And then from there, it's a whole training process about how to work with them so that they can be anesthetized safely or we can work with them in other ways. We can ask them to show, show us their hands, their feet, their teeth. 
and do all kinds of other quality checks with them. So our training superstar is Bunyi, our male Siamang. And I have to let Rachel talk about that because she's really the one who's been spearheading training him. Yeah, and, and seeing this was, like I said, just ridiculous, just absolutely ridiculous. Um, and so if you could, mm-hmm. I want you to start with it at the very beginning because that was, that was a great example of how – or a great explanation of how this all works. Mm-hmm. But like, OK, so we are on a boat yep. headed towards – the Saimang Island. Correct. And take it from there and talk through every step because it was all fascinating. <laughs> I love that you loved it. And I love that you got to see it. Um, Guys, not- twice they were like, do, do you want to go back or do you like, we're going to go do boring <laughs> stuff now. I'm like, can, can I just stay here forever? Like, I just rode the boat way too long. But, you know. If you'd like, we can get you a, a shirt and you can help us clean and do that. I would happily okay. do that. We'd love that. <laughs> um, so yeah. So we pull our keeper boat up to. Um, I guess towards the Siamang Island, we have a post. Um, how how far a post do you think um, from the island? Probably like twenty feet. Maybe twenty feet. Okay, we have a post that's twenty feet um, in the water, middle of the water um, by the Siamang Island, and Buni has a box on the South Island that I use for training with him. Um, Buni is our male Simon Gibbon. I don't know if we mentioned that. Um, but yeah, like Andrew mentioned before, uh, protected contact. So we cannot share space with him. So how do I train him? How do I work with him? Um, and this is how I do it. So we pull up to the post and there is a cable on the post. And as Andrew mentioned, uh, the cable goes underneath the water and it attaches to the door on his box on the island. So what I do is I point and ask him to go into the box, and he willfully does that for me. Um, I throw him a reward. Yes, I throw him a reward. Um, I'm sure that was probably a question you had out there. How do you get the food to them? Yeah, and also, like, (laughs) just to be clear, I mean, y'all have heard a lot of training stories on this podcast, but this isn't great. This is 20 feet away. (laughs) Booney! box you have to yell you have to throw it has to be very specific it was very cool to see that it it takes practice and i'm i'm glad that i'm comfortable and used to it now but yeah uh, yeah like having the food in your hand and then yelling and being just very vigilant on what you're doing is very important so um i throw him a reward um if my throwing skills i'm a zookeeper not a softball player um (laughs) don't make it into the box where he is um it might come out um, but i'll just ask him to go in a box again and i'll tell him that i'm closing the door and in that uh, that time, I will have the cable in my hand. I will say door, and he'll kind of scoop back a little bit, and I'll um, pull the door closed, and I will latch it onto the poles so, or the post that we are on in the water, so that um, the box is closed on the island, and I can safely go on. We do an extra precaution when I go on, so we'll pull up to the island after the door is closed, and I will um, re-latch the door again, so we just have double protection. And then I am free to kind of do my training sessions with him, and I'm glad you got to see a little bit of what he does. Um, he's really good at showing me his feet, his hands. Um, we're working on having him open his mouth for me so we can check his teeth. He's good at his little target. Um, I ask him to touch a little red ball, and he does that. Um, and then one of the coolest things that we're working on with Buini, which I'm pretty sure I've completed by now, um, I just want to tweak a couple things because, you know, it can always be better, um, is uh, injection. So like you've talked about on other podcasts, it's really important for us to be able to do voluntary um like veterinary care for our animals. Um, so Bini is uh, trained to, um, when I ask him for a hip, he will um, 
swing his hip right into a needle. Um, so basically, he's giving himself his own injections, his own his own uh, medications, what have it be. But um, yeah, that's kind of the process of it. And he's always engaged. He loves um, being up close with us, interacting with us. We've built that bond. So, but took a while to um, you know get him into the box, feel safe having the door closed and things like that. Because if you think about it, I'm putting you in a box. Okay. I'm closing the door on you and I'm coming up to you. Um, so, and we like, I don't know, he's, he's really good about it. So very happy with that. Yeah. And, um, the box has another special, um, adaptation, which I just found uh, adorable. Um, I don't even know what you're going to say off on, off on the side. Oh, right. So like explain that to, because it's one thing to like, yeah. you can put food and rewards and like do the, cause you yeah. have your blunted needle that you use yes. when he swings the hip yep. and everything. That's yep. how that works. Yep. Um, but, but <laughs> I was so entertained at how he gets I the love rewards. That. Yeah. So, um, usually with, when I'm doing this injection training, um, well, always, if I'm going on the Island, I'll have, um, two people with us. So my second person, um, will stand on the side of the box and there is a hole on the side of the box, um, big enough for him to reach his hand through. Um, and that person will have his target and ask him to touch his target. That's basically a reset for me. Um, because when he swings his hip into the mesh where my needle is, um, that's great. He did that behavior, but I want to reset him and ask him again. So the person on the side will ask him to touch the target. It'll reset his body cause he'll have to reach towards the side of the box and then I can re-ask him to give me his hip. So yeah, I, um, if you're looking at it from the front, his little, his little given arm comes out of the side of the box, which is kind of funny, just but he touches his target and shoots out of the hole. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just to illustrate the, uh, this for people, it's a hole that's maybe two inches in diameter or a little bit wider than that. And you wouldn't see it normally because it's covered by a piece of fire hose. You turn that and all of a sudden you have this little round hole in the side of the box and a whole given arm just reaches out <laughs> of it to touch a little red ball and then get his treats. Yeah, it was it was one of the funniest things that I have seen with training. I was just dying. Yeah, um, that is that is that is a really cool and the whole system just works really well. And then the boat, you know, when it's done, you pull away and you you do the unlatch of the the double um, security thing, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I the, the end part too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yep. So when we're finished, um, we unlatch the door on his box when I'm on the island with him. We come off on the island, back up our boat, go back to that post and kind of just undo what I said. I'll tell him that I'm opening the door and he'll be like, okay. And then I'll throw him a couple of extra things for being a a darn good boy and we're on our way. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's amazing to see that. And Mm -hmm. it takes like as cool as it is that all of this is happening. It also illustrates that it takes so much more work to do it this way than it would you know, in a normal exhibit. Yeah. Man, is it worth it? It It's so cool. Yeah. And the thing to add to that, um, we don't have, um, traditional night houses. We don't have traditional, um, places where we can train at the mesh train, um, at a, a training spot. So this is our training spot. Um, and to get them comfortable enough to go into their box, that's the first step. So we're glad that uh, Booney is a champ and we do have other, um, primates on the islands that are pretty, pretty good champions too. So, yeah. And some that are still learning. <laughs> yes. But that's okay. Yes. That's, that's part of the training process. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, I, uh, there was one other training thing that, that we looked at that was, was particularly cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, you guys would like to share about that, that was, that was very cool. 
Yes, I'm going to hand this off to Andrew because um, although we all worked hard on this, um, Andrew was kind of the genius to this. So nice. Here is Andrew. Well, so we we have another Gibbon that I I have a soft spot for. His name is Gibson. And when I first got here, uh, Gibson, like uh, Bunyi, was trained up to a point where he would climb into a box that was just like the just just like the Simang box on their islands. And same thing, we have a door that we can remotely open and close from the lake. Uh, but Gibson absolutely hated having the door closed on him. And we were s- trying to work him up to it where we would only close the door a third of the way, then half of the way. And inevitably, it would get to a point where he needed to have his annual exam or he needed to have something else done. And so we just had to just catch him up in there. Uh, um, and he ended up not liking that and regressing. So we were trying to figure out, okay, what can we do to make this more comfortable for him and more ideal for him? And then we had Steve Martin uh, from um, Natural Encounters Incorporated. There I'm going NEI. there tomorrow. Oh, fantastic. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can interview Steve. <laughs> so, and by the way, this, this is a different Steve Martin than the beloved comedian who spent years on SNL. I didn't know that. Oh, it is? Oh, well, then I guess I'm not going to go tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Well, I, 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 I didn't know that. And I'm sorry if, well, I'm sure Steve has heard this a million times. But when, when people were first talking about Steve Martin coming, there was no context for me. And I'm, and I'm still kind of fresh in the zoo world. So I just heard all these people saying, oh, Steve Martin is coming next week. And I'm like, oh, my God, like the guy who was like with, with, with Kermit the Frog, like that's, that's going to be awesome. And then I think it was a few days before that somebody was like, no, Steve, Ar- uh, Steve Martin from, you know, NEI. And I'm like, what the hell is that NEI? <laughs> so, I mean, he's great. Like, and, and he's very impressive. Don't get me wrong. And, and it was his presentation that kind of got our gears going because he talked to us about how one key thing with training is that you should be trying to give as much control to the animal as possible. So then we started thinking about amongst ourselves, okay, what are we going to do about Gibson? How can we improve things for him? And he happened to be up here in one of our quarantine enclosures uh, because of some veterinary work that he had to, that he had to get done. So it was a prime opportunity to kind of work with him up close and personal, which he reacts quite well to. So we figured, okay, what if we try using just a, a standard mesh kennel and see if he's willing to climb into that? And he was doing just fine with that. And then we thought, okay, what if we gave him the opportunity to close the door himself rather than have it closed on him and see if having that that choice made a difference for him. And the simplest way that we could think of was uh, taking a wooden dowel and just drilling a hole through it and running a rope through it so that we could attach it to the door of the kennel and just made a simple handle that he could pull on. But first we had to train the pulling behavior. And so that was days of me and our supervisor, Cindy Hall, literally holding on to the st- the string end of the handle and sticking it into the enclosure. And he would just start playing with it and touching it and fiddling with it. We're like, yeah, buddy, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Pull on it for us. And And eventually he got to the point where we could ask him to pull on the handle and he would do it all the time. So once we attached it to the door, we figured let's just put two behaviors together, get in the crate, pull the handle. And he did it almost on the first go. Um, And it it got to the point where um, we were able to ask him to pull the handle with a latch attached to the door and the door would latch uh, shut. We would immediately open it up because we could reach in with a finger to open up the latch. And we were actually able to successfully use that to get him out of his quarantine enclosure, which was a much easier process than it would have been otherwise. Like on the day that we had to bring him back out to the island, it was a simple just asking him to climb in the crate, 
closed the door on himself and then we just took him off and brought him back out without an issue. Uh, so now he's at the point where on the island, we can ask him to climb into that same crate with the same handle and ask him to close the door. Uh, we keep the, the latch clipped so that he's not locking himself in there without a way of getting out. Uh, but we've actually designed a new crate, which has two doors on it. Uh, one door still has that same kind of handle and latch set up, but the other door has... Uh, these electronic devices that were initially designed uh, for pet kennels, like dog kennels. So people who wanted a way to remotely release their dogs if they're not uh, close by or, you know, uh, it, they can work from up to three stories up. So you could be walking into your apartment building and saying, OK, like, let me let Fido out. I'm going to be up there soon. Um as they work wirelessly. So I had found those online. I'm like, why don't we give these a shot? So now we have them installed on that secondary door on the kennel. So he can close himself in completely. The latches are all engaged. But once we're done on the island, done doing whatever we want, we can pull the boat away and remotely activate that second door and it swings wide open for him. That's so cool. That's just really, really awesome. Um, how often do you still need to work on like reinforcing these various behaviors just to keep them fresh? So as we're actually training the behavior we're training the animal at least five days a week and that can be for the simplest step in the behavior whether that's uh, our mongoose lemur for example bimbini i've been crate training him and initially when i was training him i would just reward him for being close to the crates mm. and then you know touching the crate and then having an arm in the crate half his body in the crate you slowly kind of approximate where you're shooting for and so all of that is happening multiple days a week because we're trying to really shape the behavior but once they have it down packed, I mean, Gibson uh, will train him with his, you know, regular training crate without the fancy electronics and whatnot two, three times a week just to make sure that he still has it down and he's just fine. I mean, as you saw yourself yeah. today. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Very, very cool. Um, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about very specifics here, but I think we should do like an overview of the different types of primates that are out there. Um, if you kind of just want to go island by island, tell me species and like like maybe, you know, a personality or two if we have an all-star or somebody who just stands out? Uh, sure. Well, let's go, I guess, island by island. We'll just trade off. Um, I guess I will start with uh, our red rough lemurs. We have uh, three red rough lemur boys, brothers. Um, they were born here at the Naples Zoo, actually. Nice. Um, so very, very cool for us. They were born on Cinco de Mayo. Um, so a lot of people like to know their names. Um, Chip, Pico, and Jalapeno. Um, these boys are spunky as ever. Um, very personable. Um, love to adventure and explore and things like that. Um, they always keep us laughing. If anyone's ever having a bad day, these boys know how to cheer you up. <laughs> that's, that's a personality. Um, in, in a lemur that I definitely, I love. So I, um, before you push the mic away, I, I just, <laughs> I get a kick out of, um, you were explaining to me that the, the names came and then your way of identifying oh. each one. I just thought that was really funny. So, so I'm the type of person, um, specifically that I, I need to, I like to have a visual for, for remembering things, um, you know, kind of doing the, the thing to, to remember it. So they actually were part of the three boys were actually part of the carnivore team at one point. Um, and the primate team was able to take them over and they were able to, um, go onto the islands cause we had an, uh, an island open. So we were very lucky, but they had their names. Of course, uh, they were probably almost a year or they were a year, maybe. Yeah, they were a year. 
So I'm like, I, I need to learn these names. You know, these boys look identical. They're triplets. Um, so the only difference about them um, is the stripes on their feet. So um, one of them has no stripes on their feet. One of them has one and one of them has two. So what I did with my my mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I love that you're embarrassed about this. Your whole face fell when I asked, but I'm I'm happy about that and well, we're leaving it's just, it in. It's just and I, and I actually I've I've taught um incoming keepers and interns and just people that come on the boat and are like, "Oh, they're cool names." I've taught them this and they're like, "Oh, that's really cool." So, you know what? If it, no, teaches- it really does help. Like it makes sense to <laughs> yeah. me. That's I like it. Yeah. So, Pico or so I'll start with Chip. So, Chip um has one stripe on one foot. So, um I always say I there's one chip left in the bag or um, there is one poker chip left. I don't know. That's just how my mind works. And then <laughs> Jalapeno has one stripe on each foot. So he has two in total. So that's a lot of stripes. So he's and he's a spicy jalapeno. So that's just a lot. So <laughs> that's how I came up with that. And then Mr. Pico um, has no stripes. So he's just Pico. He's the only one left. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Process of elimination. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like so yeah, that's kind of how, how it works for me. I don't know if that rubbed off on Andrew at all or if you have a different way. <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> how do you tell them apart then? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm lazy. I just look at their feet. <laughs> you just how remember you, the name. How do you remember? I, I don't, I don't know. I just, <laughs> okay, I just, we're not talking to him about this anymore. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just, I just remember. I mean, like I make mistakes. We're, we're don't get me wrong. Sometimes, sometimes I just call shots. They do have different personalities. They do. they do. Like Chip is the most adventurous one. So if you ever see like one kind of like doing something that he probably shouldn't do, it's almost always Chip. <laughs> that's the way, that's the way I assume it. But I'm not going to lie. There have been moments where I'm like, Chip's cut it out. And then Rachel's like, dude, that's jalapeno. And I look at the feet. I'm like, oh yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> that's awesome. So yeah, tell, uh, tell, tell me about another island. Yeah, uh, well, next door to the red rough lemurs, we have an island that has two lemur species. Uh, so we have a pair of collared lemurs, uh, Goose and Flo, and we have a female ringtail lemur whose name is PJ. Um, they're an interesting island because PJ is definitely one of the most hyperactive, not even just lemurs I've ever met, just animals in general that I've ever <laughs> met. Um, she is, if she's going at full speed, she is just a blur going throughout the island from one place to the other. And she is definitely top dog. Like she does not take anything from anyone, whether it's another lemur or a duck or a rabbit or whatever the case might be. Um, she, she's definitely reigning queen in that, on that island. And the collards, I feel a little bad for because I think they're our prettiest lemurs. No offense to any other lemurs here at the Naples Zoo. They just, they just are. You look at them in their face and they're absolutely gorgeous. They are like the textbook collar lemurs. Like if you look at old timey natural history illustrations from like the 1700s, 1800s of lemurs, like that's what goose and flow look like. Like they belong in a book. Um, but, uh, they're definitely a little more on the reclusive side and they just like to spend most of the, their days chilling. So more often than not, like you don't get to see them too much on the boats cause they're hanging out in their box they're hanging out on the ground and enjoying themselves. So they're, they're definitely the old retired couple that's just kind of <laughs> taking it easy out in the sun, which is funny cause they're not even that old. Uh, they're, they're quite young. Maybe it's just in, in their blood. It's Florida. You know, just trying yeah. to fit in before you, we pass that. Um, 
so you mentioned something that that um you know is worth mentioning here, which is that this is a lake and islands on a lake. And that means we get a lot of what I like to call bonus animals. So we saw some Muscovy ducks and we even saw an iguana swimming, yep. which was really cool to see. Kind of threw me for a second. I'd never seen an iguana swim. Um, but you just mentioned rabbits. Yep. How are rabbits getting to islands in a lake? They swim. <laughs> but they're rabbits. Yeah, but these rabbits swim. They're special rabbits. They're hybrids. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I mean, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't do like aquatic gymnastics <laughs> or anything, but they, you know, they don't do synchronized swimming, but they can swim. They're actually quite good swimmers. We have marsh rabbits on property. And so there's a lot of them out on the lake. And there has been two separate occasions where uh, God has decided to help me out because no one ever believes us when we tell them, but I've had someone on the boat and they always ask the same question, which is, you know, you have rabbits. Where do the rabbits come from? I always look them straight in the face and with a deadpan expression tell them they swim. The reactions always, no, they don't. Rabbits don't do that. And I've had two separate occasions where right after someone has said rabbits don't do that, I could point at the water and say, <laughs> look right there and tell me what that is. And they lose it because it's a little bunny swimming through the water. I, I can't even picture it. That's crazy. That's yep. very cool. But rabbits, iguanas, ducks, uh, we have all kinds of fish. In the lake, ranging from tarpon to tilapia, uh, Mayan cichlids, snook. Uh, we have water snakes, and we get to see the water snakes quite often. I, nice. I've actually gotten got to watch a water snake hunt fish on our lake once. It's a whole ecosystem. We have otters that come on the lake from time to time. Oh, my gosh. Uh, God forbid that the otters ever decide to cross over the spider monkey island because they absolutely lose it. And so a lot of times when we've when we've... When we've gotten uh, calls from our boat captain saying that the spider monkeys are losing it and barking and alarm calling, nine out of ten times we're like, dude, it was probably an otter, but we'll we'll go make sure they're okay. And inevitably it, it tends to be an otter. Wow. I had no idea. That's that's so cool. Um, what, what happens, uh, you know, primates? What, do they catch these animals? Do they play with them? Are they some of their favorite enrichment items? I mean, <sighs> um, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, there has been the occasional duck um, that has been um, in a spider monkey tail. Um, it's nature. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we do our best to stop the behavior right mm -hmm. away. Fortunately for us, um, there isn't much aggression and like they don't they don't seek them out, I suppose. Um, I believe the only times that a primate would probably go for a duck or a bunny or a iguana is if they were trying to share food with them, mm -hmm. um, got too close kind of thing. But yes, we, uh, uh, funny story. Um, I do only have a couple of minutes left. Um, but, um, funny story the other day during my keeper talk, everyone started panicking because, um, as I was doing my Siming keeper talk, uh, they noticed that under the bench, um, one of our female Simon Gibbon had a guana tail through the bench. And then Bunny came over and joined. Um, so the iguana was couldn't move because they had the tail from underneath the bench. Um, but 
it was more of a like a playing thing like oh look at i can like kind of play with the tail um not so aggressive and I, the iguana was fine and stayed with them the whole rest of the night because when i came back for closing the iguana was sitting right next to them so nice. that he Love had it. no no fear or anything like that. So That's great. Before you leave, is there any conservation organization you'd like to give a shout out to? Yeah. Um, it kind of goes with my dirty story or my oh. poop story. Poop story. Great. You want to go yeah, with that? Tie it so all. Tie it I, all I, I was kind of going to do an orangutan shout out. So when I did hand rear that baby orangutan, um, obviously we needed to have being as natural as possible. Um, we had our little, we had a cute little vest on that the orangutan can hold on to. Um, to natural and mimic mom's behavior, so she would hold on to our little. Um, have you, ever, you know what a tie blanket is? No, I don't. I can't even explain it. But basically, we had little tassels okay, on a yeah, vest. Yeah, yeah. We had yeah. little tassels on a vest. Okay, she hung on to it, but we didn't put her in clothes or diapers or anything because right, right. that's not natural. Um, and so the amount of what what do you call this series? Poo poo. Hmm? No, it's poop story. Poop story. Poop story. Poop story. Yeah. Oh, I thought you called it like a poo-poo story. No, it's poop. of poop. <laughs> poop That'll that be Rasafari for kids. It's the poo-poo story. <laughs> a children's book. But yeah, the, the amount of um, excrements that I had on my body was – and you, sometimes you could you could tell when she was about to do it because um, she would kind of give, give you that face. And you kind of like push your body away from her and it would go on the floor. But um, – that was the poop story. Poop story. That came to my mind when, when I thought of maybe a dirty story. So Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and the conservation um, shout-out I want to give is the Orangutan Foundation International. Go, awesome. Go, go redheads. Yeah, go redheads, and uh, and hopefully they don't poop on you too much. Exactly. Cool. <laughs> but unfortunately, I have to leave you yes, guys. Yes, yes. You, uh, you go do your thing. Go thanks. talk as a keeper because, you know. And it's not even for primates. Oh. I have to um, step in and do a draft talk. And All that's right. the life of a zookeeper. So um, I will leave you guys. Thank you so much for coming on the lake and being a part of um, our day. We really appreciate it. And come back anytime and we'll put you to work. Thank you. I'm here for it. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's go back to the islands and tell me about some more of the, the primates you got. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, just kind of moving around in a rough circle uh, next door to our ringtail and collar lemur island, we have a very special island. It's the home to Gibson, the buff cheek gibbon that I, I spoke about a little while ago. But his roommate is pretty cool because he doesn't live with another gibbon. He lives with an older spider monkey whose name is Scanner. And Scanner is pretty special to us. We kind of informally call the lake Scanner's Lagoon. <laughs> Because uh, like he he aside aside from our gators, he is the oldest animal at the zoo. He's wow. going to be fifty years old now in August. Wow! Uh, so he is easily. I mean, once upon a time, the the factoid was that he was in the top ten oldest spider monkeys in in, in North America in captivity. Uh, but by now, he's easily top five. <laughs> That's amazing! Wow, very cool. How 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 well do they get along? You know, I feel like Gibson sometimes complains that he lives with a roommate who doesn't pay rent and <laughs> kind of makes a mess and doesn't really do much around around the apartment, but um, they're they're good friends. They're definitely good friends. And even if they occasionally have their little disagreements and spats, it always ends with the two of them hugging and kind of working it out. Sometimes it gets a little too friendly, um, but it's it's how they kind of work through their, their problems. I mean... That's a good way to work through problems, I guess. <laughs> and they are and they are fan favorites, not just for the keepers. Uh, even the the boat captains for the tour boats love them and love love spending time around them. Um, 
There's a there's there their island is actually one of the few islands that's easy to see from the shore of the lake because there's a little loop that you can walk on that has what's called lookout points, which is maybe 50 feet away from the island. So it's a great place to see the two of them just kind of hanging out. Um, yeah, very cool. And um, you know, uh, to pause for for just a second here, um, you mentioned the captains and and um. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit curious just about how much y'all have to interact. Do you know the, the captains? Do they get to know you? I know you mentioned that they'll call if they notice a behavior. How important are the captains to this overall thing? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we, we see them all the time. Uh, there's about, I think currently we're up to six boat captains and we also have seasonal people who just are here for parts of the year and this is kind of their seasonal oh i'm in naples enjoying the sunshine kind of job and a lot of those are are old mainstays i mean to the point where year after year i mean i've been here for two years now uh, so i've seen these people come and go and and they're just a part of the the zoo community but we see them all the time we chat with them while we're out on the water we have regular meetings with them to just catch up on what's going out on the lake with the animals. Uh, but we also put together, Rachel and I, a monthly newsletter uh, that we write up ourselves and we put photos of all the primates. And, you know, there's a whole section for major updates, any, you know, major changes that are coming up in the islands, uh, reminders for them, uh, just things that we notice as we see them driving around the islands so that we can help them do their job a little bit better. And uh, we also put together a section where we kind of give them new primate facts every month because one thing that, you know, they can get tired of completely understandably is that they're doing the same talk every single day. Uh, So we figured when we started putting out this newsletter about six months ago, it's like, okay, well, let's give you guys some more material to talk about. And they've actually been uh, really receptive to that. You know, uh, it's not unusual for us to go out on the lake, you know, three days after the newsletter has been released. And all of a sudden you hear the guys talking about how, oh, uh, you know, our male spider monkeys are colorblind, but the females aren't. And this is how that works. <laughs> and so they, they definitely get to enjoy that. That's really cool. I love that y'all do that too. That's that's really neat. And I, I have to give them a shout out because they are really the ones that handle almost all of the public side when it comes to our primates. So the fact that the primate lake is so well received by people here and we know lots of guests even by name because they're here so often right. and universally the acclaim goes to the lake. Uh, and it's really because of our captains that it's that way. I mean, they're the ones who are taking the public around them. So. Yeah, makes sense. Very cool. Um, And, uh, you know, going along with that, um, were you, was Rachel, are people like, do y'all know how to boat? Or is that something that you get taught to do when you get here? Um, Because you handled it very well. Yeah, well, you weren't there for my first like two months on the job, which was which is a very a very different affair. Um, no, I had I had never driven a boat uh, before coming here. That's not always the case. We do have some keeper stuff that just happen to have some boating experience in their backgrounds. Uh, but I, I I became an outdoorsy person much later in my life, so I did not grow up with that with that kind of stuff at all, and I didn't grow up with any kind of fishing or boating at all. Um, but yeah, I had, I had to get taught by Rachel and the other primate keepers. So to whatever extent I'm a decent boat driver, it's, it's because of them. Wow. That's yeah. It's, you really have to just kind of learn all kinds of stuff when you're a keeper. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I always joke to people, you know, when when I'm giving uh keeper talks for the primates anyway, like our Siamang talk, 
I'll tell people, yeah, we go on their islands, we do everything for them. We mow their lawns, we trim their hedges, we fix their houses up, we build them furniture, we rearrange their furniture, you know, we trim their trees, we, you know, we do pretty much everything else you can imagine for them. So, you know, if you ever need a handyman, just look for a zookeeper. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So, um, yeah. All right. Uh, let's, let's keep going through the islands quick. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, going across the lake, we have our Siamang Island, home to Bungyi and Taylor, our pair of Siamang. So, Bungyi being our, our training superstar that Rachel talked about. Um, they are definitely one of the cooler primates to just watch. Uh, they sing pretty much every single day. It's a given behavior. Um, they're monogamous and pair bonded, and the way they kind of manage their bond to each other is through that singing behavior. So our Siamang almost always sing once in the morning. Sometimes they'll sing again in the mid-afternoon, and on a very lucky day, you'll hear them sing three times. And despite the fact that I have spent close to two years hearing them sing five days a week, I have yet to get bored of it. It's, there's just something absolutely magical about it. Yeah. Um, I actually, I was at the Gibbon Conservation Center in California, and... Um, we really talked about the the music theory that goes into Gibbon song, and it's like astonishing. I won't rehash it now, but um, there's so much in it, and so much that relates to like what we think of as like human music theory. Mm-hmm. As a musician, it blew my mind. Like you know, here is this person describing like just from the 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 Gibbon perspective, and I'm like, oh yeah, that that's called this, and, and oh yeah, that's called this, and oh that's a vamp, and that blew my mind. Yep. They're just so cool. No, no I, the public's always impressed when I tell them that, you know, not only do they have the singing behavior, they sing a literal duet. Mm-hmm. You know, the male and the female are singing different portions of the song. And then they'll have certain parts of the song that they harmonize together and sing in unison. Uh, it's always a, a crowd favorite. Yeah, that's very cool. Very cool. Um, are we missing anyone? I'm going to uh, We still have our colobus monkeys. So oh, we, yes. have, we have, yes. uh, we have Gerezas, black and white colobus monkeys from, from Central Africa. Uh, they are definitely one of the cooler primate species that we have. Um, they have proved to be our, our greatest challenge when it comes to training because they each have their own separate box that they can climb into on their island, which are kind of linked together in one structure. But, you know, all the individual boxes are kind of separated from each other. And we've gotten to a point where, so the island um, consists of a father and his two sons. And we've gotten to the point where one of the sons is an absolute angel for the most part. He has his days like today where he decides that, you know, no, before I do what you want me to do, I'm going to use the bathroom and (laughs) take a little journey around the lake and kind of get my bearings. But Mally is Terrific. Oftentimes, we don't even ask him to climb into the box. He is already in there on his back staring at us saying, okay, like, can we hurry this along? Please, I want my sweet potato. Uh, now his dad is getting to the point where we can ask him to get in the box and he gets in there with, without too much of a fuss. And today was actually the first day that we left him shut in there with the door and he reacted quite well to it. So the last one that's left is Keto and we'll we'll see what happens with him. Uh, but they are incredibly... Yes, keto was shifted. Oh, yeah. <laughs> keto yep. needed his own own space, which is fair. You oh, know? yeah, totally. Yeah. And and he probably doesn't complain, to be honest. In his mind, he's like, oh, this is my island. And right. I, I kind of like this. So. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I um I think it's fascinating when you think of, you know, training animals, how individualistic it has to be, even when you're doing it in groups. And, and the funny thing was, like, all three of them stationed 
really, really well, yep. like really well. And then two of them created and one of them was like, bah, yep. no, I thought it was interesting to see, you know? Yeah. And that, that actually arose. They, they were already at a point where we had them box trains, but we had them trained that all three of them would shift to that shift Island. And then when they came back, they would go into their own individual boxes uh, after the hurricane where we had to take all of our primates uh, off of the lake and when we put the colobus back out, there's social dynamics that actually changed a little bit. And it's not a, it's, that's not surprising. We had brought them to new environments. They were housed under different conditions. Um, and obviously having to deal with a storm and all these other things going on around you, uh, things just kind of change for them behaviorally. So we started trying to problem solve, okay, how can we work with them now that uh, the way they approach shifting and the way they view the boxes has kind of changed a bit. And that's how we started working with them on this individual basis. So we did start off with just Mally and we would shift over his father and his brother over to that small shift island, work with Mally individually. Now we're wrapping Hassani, the father, into it. And then Keto's the last one that's left. But they are definitely the most independent primates that we have. There are days where we can ask them, beg them, plead the God, plead to <laughs> every deity you can imagine, and they will not budge. And that's completely on them. It's, it's, um, it's something that I like to try to communicate to the public that when we talk about training, uh, they might think about, you know, dog training or cat training, which is a very kind of self-contained atmosphere. But here we have to 100% work with them because it's it's completely up to them whether they want to listen to us or not. Right. Um, and that brings up another great question, which is, you know, you've talked about this, obviously, uh, the zoo was hit by a hurricane and we're in Florida, so will be again at some point. Um, so obviously you take them off the lake, but where, where do they go and, and how do you handle all of that? So they go right where we're currently sitting, which is in the glass animal hospital. I know that I know that you got a kick out of that name when you first heard it. <laughs> it's where you go um, if you're part of the glass menagerie and you get broken. Yes. <laughs> and um, basically a good this is a rough estimate, but I'd say that easily 85 percent of our collection has space that is apportioned to them here at the hospital should a major emergency arrive. Uh, so Hurricane Ian was a great example of that major storm and basically directly hit us. And so the overwhelming majority of our collection was brought here to the hospital, which is on higher ground. The building was uh, built to withstand even Category 5 hurricanes, so it's a safe place for them. So all of our privates are up here. A lot of them were in uh, combined kind of like indoor-outdoor quarantine enclosures. Uh, others had other spaces apportioned to them here at, at the hospital, yeah. Nice. And like when when something like that hits, like how bad is it for the islands and, and, and how much work does it take to get it back to being primate ready? Well, the the biggest thing was just water. I mean, that was on, honestly the most destructive force when it came to Ian because uh, the winds weren't too bad. So what you saw out on the lake, all of that was underwater. There was no Whoa. there was no island that was sticking up above the waterline uh, <laughs> right after the hurricane, uh, and that obviously spilled over into the zoo. So a good portion of the zoo had you know a foot two feet of water. Uh, over it. So we had to pump a lot of that water out just to get the lake level back down to a manageable level. And then it was a, you know, close to three week process of us just cleaning up debris. So making sure that any broken branches weren't left hanging. We had a couple of trees that were blown over and had to get kind of managed. One of them, unfortunately, we did have to remove. Um, but even to this day, if you go around the islands, you'll still see some signs of the hurricane. On the Spider Monkey Island, there's a palm tree that's on its side. 
um, and palm trees aren't normally on their side. But that one, that one has hung on. It's actually still alive. Oh, wow. And okay. the very crown of it has started kind of reaching back up into the sky. So we left it there, and, and it's been doing okay so far. But, yeah, thankfully we had no animals that were injured, uh, no major damage that was actually done to any structures of the zoo itself. So it's just a process of just kind of cleaning up and tidying things up. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, are there any other primates that you want to talk about? Yeah, I do have to talk about our very last island. So we have a very special island that is home to a pair of lemurs. Uh, one of them is a male mongoose lemur. His name is Bimbini. Uh, he came down to us from the Lemur Conservation Foundation a little less than a year ago. We love them. I got together last time I was in Florida and we interviewed them and it's just what a oh, great no, place. It's, it's an incredible place. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, I know their director of conservation, uh, Eric Patel, and I, I've been up there a few times. Nice. It's it's amazing facility and no one will believe you like if you tell them like in the middle of nowhere central florida you know you have to drive through an hour and a half of nothing but cows yep. and sandhill cranes there are woods that lemurs are just hanging out of yep. yep there's a road on the way there where a person has a sign that literally tells you to like stay off the road yeah <laughs> even though you're like it's a whole thing but then you go and yeah there are just woods with lemurs it yep. was magical yeah yeah um, but on this island, we have Bimbini, who came to us from LCF, and we have Victoria, who is a female white fronted brown lemur. And she's just not any female white fronted brown lemur. She is the last white fronted brown lemur that is being kept at an AZA institution. Uh, so she's quite special to all of us. Uh, she was born here at the Naples Zoo with her brother, whose name was Barry, who unfortunately is no longer with us. Uh, but she is about to turn uh, 23 in just a few weeks. Wow. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it was very, very cool getting to see her. Thank you for for taking me to the island. No, I know it was yeah, kind of, of at the end of everything, but I knew that might be like a once in a lifetime experience. So yeah, you know. yeah, no, I mean she's a special little lady, also known as the littlest lady, and she is our scent marking queen. Um, if you <laughs> bring absolutely anything onto that island, I can guarantee you that she's going to rub all her scent glands on it. And sometimes she won't even wait for it to be on the island. You turn around and she's on the prow of the boat and she's like, oh, this is a nice stick that you got here. <laughs> Guess it's uh, mine now. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and, you know, we mentioned uh, that, that you know, there are all these animals that can swim to to the islands and stuff. Do you ever have the, the primates swim off the island? No. So we uh, – choose the primate species that we keep out on the island very carefully. Even though it's rare for primates to habitually swim, there are some uh, notable species. Uh, uh, Long-tailed macaques are a really good example. They not only swim regularly, they actually go into the water to forage for like little mussels and clams and whatnot to feed on crabs and so on. Uh, orangutans are another great example. Orangutans are great swimmers. So we have orangutans that are coming here to the zoo, uh, should be here in a month. Uh, we cannot keep them out on the lake because as soon as we put them out on the island, they're going to be all throughout the zoo before we know it. <laughs> so they're having a nice uh, new exhibit being built for them in, in, in the zoo property itself. Uh, but all of our private species fall into either not being able to swim. Our gibbons are a good example of that. Uh, they just they have so little fat on them that they're not too buoyant and their long arms aren't exactly a very helpful thing to have <laughs> in the water. The mental image is pretty great, though, trying trying to picture them trying oh, to. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very, very sloppy, poorly done breaststroke for sure. 
Um, and then the others, you know, they could swim, but they absolutely had to, uh, but they're not very good at it. So the water is a very icky and dangerous place for them. Plus, they know that their islands contain everything that they have. It's their territory, their habitats. The food that they need is on there. Everything else that they need is on there. So they don't they don't go for dips. Cool. Love it. Uh, is there anything else that you want to share with the audience before we wrap up here? Um, well, if the customary thing is the poop story. Poop story. One not. I can I can oh, definitely we'll, I can we'll I can definitely that. share that. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rossifari poop story. And that and it was actually it was actually quite recent. Oh, good. Um, I had I had managed to make it through my first two years here without any crazy, any significant crazy incidents. And then I I built uh, my creative outlet is building things here. I okay. love to build climbing structures and hammocks and whatnot for for the primates. And I had built this long ladder-like structure that we hung up on one of the Siamang Islands for them to brachiate on. And one of the places that I was anchoring it was a large tree that they have on one of their islands. And so I climbed up the tree to get where I needed the chain and whatnot to be. And as I climb up there, I notice that there's a peculiar smell that I just can't unsmell. Uh, but it, I, it hasn't clicked yet what's happening. And once I was done up in the tree, as I'm climbing down, uh, one of the other primate keepers goes, you do not want to see what's on your back right now. Oh, no. <laughs> and on your shorts. <laughs> and on your legs. <laughs> and on your shoes. They're like, in fact, just close your eyes and <laughs> <laughs> pretend that you're in whatever your happy place is. So ne- needless to say, uh, that that day uh, I ran off grounds uh, during during the lunch break and I, I bought myself new clothes. That's 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 how bad it was. Oh, God. So shout out to West Marine across the streets. A great place. You can get, you know, solid quality outdoor clothing there. So. <laughs> Very good. Uh, and is there a conservation organization you'd like to give a shout out? Yes, uh, definitely. Um, I would love to give a shout out to the um, Institution for the Conservation of Tropical Environments. Uh, that's based out of uh, Stony Brook University in, in New York. Uh, they manage uh, Center Valbio, which is um, um, a field station uh, in Ranamafan National Park in southeastern Madagascar. I've uh, been doing incredible work there for, you know, close to three decades and uh, i actually got to work with them a lot for my master's work so uh, it's hard for me not to give them a shout out nice very cool thank you for taking the time to do this and for the whole morning just all of it thank you no 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 thank you it was really a pleasure to have you out there All right. And there you have it. Isn't that a really cool system? And just, oh my goodness, I love all of the innovation that goes into this amazing um, boat ride experience that guests get to have at, at Naples. And I love how they've adapted training and shifting and all that stuff for the island system. It's 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 just so cool. The Naples Zoo is so great. I'm, I'm such a big fan. And um, along with saying thank you to Andrew and uh, Rachel, I wanted to also um, take a moment to say thank you to Elizabeth Johnson, who uh, is a former guest and a good friend of the pod, who um, set up these interviews, the, this one and the one you'll be hearing next week, um, for me and has just been wildly supportive of, of Rasafari and me and just very encouraging. And 
And um, as a matter of fact, I'm going to take this moment to tell you that Elizabeth has actually started her own podcast called Mothering Wildlife, and it's going to be dropping very, very soon. It is produced by yours truly, uh, kind of as as part of this Rossafari umbrella of podcasts, but it is it is her own thing, and um, I'm I'm very proud of it. I think it's very cool, and uh, it explores the idea of being a mother while working in the zoo and wildlife uh, field. So uh, if you are a mom or if you're just um, interested in a kind of different angle on what it's like to be in this field, uh, definitely check out Mothering Wildlife. An early episode does feature our good friend, Danny Poirier-Larson. Uh, and actually, the first episode features Whitley Turner, who is the zookeeper that I talked about on Zoo News recently, who went in and breastfed her baby in front of an orangutan to teach it how to breastfeed. And it, it did work. It was successful. And, and the story's just absolutely incredible. So uh, stay tuned for that. And uh, real quick, I want to say thank you to my Red Panda level patrons. Those are Laura Shank, Kristen Dickey, and Stephen Williamson. And of course, I want to say thanks to all of my patrons. Uh, don't forget, you can support the pod for as little as $3 a month by going to patreon.com slash Safari. And uh, next week, next week, you're going to hear about another incredible, unique thing at the Naples Zoo. We're going to be talking to two members of the Herp team there. And we're going to be talking about the incredible alligator feeding that they do at the zoo. It's so cool and so unique and such a great example of the power of training. I, I really can't wait to share it with y'all. So make sure you're back here next week for that. And of course, Friday is Zoo News. But more importantly, remember that the word credits backwards is Steiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.